Welcome to the Community United podcast produced by Sherburne County Area United Way. I am your host and executive director, Kat Sarf. Each week we chat with local nonprofit leaders and community members that are creating an impact locally and let you know how you can too. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Community United podcast. I am your host, Kat Sarp, the Executive Director for Sherburne County Area United Way. And I am joined today by my co-host, Jim Boyle from the Star News. Say hi, Jim. Hello, all. <laughs> and we are so excited to have Hannah Ruth Patterson with us today. She is the Executive Director for Rivers of Hope, a domestic violence center um, that is located in Monticello, Minnesota. So welcome, Hannah Ruth. Thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we're just going to start talking a little bit about, you know, yourself. So let people know who you are, um, maybe a little bit about your background, if you're from the area, just anything you want them to know about you. Yes. So I am originally from North Dakota. Um, so I grew up in Minot and I've been living in Minnesota now for about five years. I came here for grad school. And I did a double master's in social work and business. And wow. it was during that that I started at Rivers of Hope. It worked well with my internship schedule. So I started part-time. And then once I graduated, I just stayed on in different roles. So I was youth advocate, then youth advocate team lead, development coordinator, and now executive director. You just kind of worked your way up. You're just loving that much. I love that. Yeah. Oh, no wonder why you're so knowledgeable, but we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, tell us about your background a little bit, just in terms of, of uh, as it relates to uh, your organization. And, and tell us about that rise, too, in terms of, you know, what you took from each different post that you had at Rivers of Hope. Yeah. So one of the main reasons that I was interested in getting into Rivers of Hope when I first saw the position open is I am a survivor of domestic violence. So early on in college, I was in an abusive relationship. So that is when I first saw the impact domestic violence can have from a personal perspective of being a victim at that time. And then through my social work degree at that time, I started interning at the local domestic violence center in North Dakota, where I was from. And that's where I really learned about what advocacy is and how it supports survivors. Mm -hmm. And that's when I began to really have an interest in that professionally. And when Rivers of Hope had the position open for a part-time youth advocate, it just seemed like it would be a good fit. Yeah. Absolutely. And so since, yeah, I said I started part-time youth advocacy and it just really felt like this was where I was supposed to be because after graduating, I went to the executive director at the time and said that if I was going to stay, I would need a full-time position and something opened up. Right. And then a while later, I said I would want something more in leadership and they created the team lead position. So I was able to transition to that. And then after about a year of that, the development coordinator position opened. So yeah. that was something I was interested in at the time. I'm a macro level social worker. So that is the area I'm most interested in. And then when my predecessor left, I took on the interim role and that just transitioned into the permanent one. So things just really have falling into place here. Yeah. As far as the mission of Rivers of Hope, um, the name itself helps get you on the way and talking about advocacy. But tell us, what is the mission of Rivers of Hope? 
Our mission is to provide a community coordinated response to end family violence through advocacy, education, and interagency collaboration. So we're a community-based organization. So we try to support victims in our community through really partnering with different organizations and service providers to ensure that the community is aware about us and that they know how to access our services. So who who comes to you? How, how does that process work? How does it talk us through all of the coordinating that you do? Yes, so our referrals for one example, we partner closely with local law enforcement. So we're in both Wright and Sherburne counties. We have um, relationships with the sheriff departments and police departments. So anytime there's a police report that is for domestic violence, they are sent to us. So that allows our advocates to reach out to the victims listed rather than putting that pressure on them to yeah. have to call us. So that is our main source of referrals. And then other partnerships that result in referrals are the schools. So we work with schools as well. We go into the buildings to serve students. So if counselors or social workers know of a student who could benefit, they make referrals. And then we also at times get them through Health and Human Services. So CPS, for example, might be working with someone experiencing domestic violence, and then they will refer them to us. Gotcha. So what are the things, some of the things that you do once you find out what what are the, some of those services that you provide? Yeah. So for adults, our advocates start by reaching out to them and just assessing for a safety right away. So determining if they can stay where they're at or if we need to look for shelters. And then services that they offer to these individuals is help with filing orders for protection and harassment restraining orders so that the abuser is no longer able to contact them. Um, they attend court, whether it's for an order or if it is for a criminal case, they're able to go with the victims to be that support person. And then we do safety planning with people to kind of identify their options for if they are in an immediate risk situation, who can they call, where can they go? And we also, for adults, have a weekly support group for female identifying survivors, where regardless of where they're at in their journey, they're able to come together and share their experiences and offer support to each other. Yeah. And then the youth advocacy program, our advocates go into schools to meet one-on-one -on -one with students. Um, they listen to their stories and offer support there. But then something that makes it a little different from the adult program is we also do more prevention work with the youth. So we talk to them about what is a healthy relationship and setting healthy boundaries and coping strategies. Because one of the goals with that is that they grow up and recognize when they're in an unhealthy relationship and have the self-esteem and sense of self-worth to know that they do not deserve that. Yes, prevention is, is definitely key. That's amazing. If someone is in an abusive relationship and um, they're afraid to leave or they, they aren't really sure what to do, what would be your suggestion or what would you tell them? We would still encourage them to speak with an advocate or someone in their life, whether it's a friend or a family, just to make sure that someone knows. Um, domestic violence can be very isolating and that isolation is what makes it so dangerous because if people don't know what you're going through, then that abuser has so much more control over you. So even when people aren't ready to go, we really appreciate when they do reach out because our advocates can safety plan. And that's where those really come into play. 
So talking about if they come home and they're angry, is there a door you can easily access to leave? Do you have everything you need in a place, one place like your paperwork and your ID and everything that you would need if you need to flee quickly just to make sure you don't need to go back if you do get to that point where it's really escalated and dangerous. And then also who are your support people, um, whether that's a friends or family members, making sure that they have some people in their lives that they can call, even if they just need to talk about what they're going through. One thing that I've um, heard from a few different victims and in, in leaving a um, an abusive relationship was um, it was really hard for them financially. Is that something that you found pretty common? Yep. And that is unfortunately a huge barrier for a lot of people. Um, one of the control tactics used by many abusers is that financial control. So it might be not letting them have a job or having all paychecks go directly into one account that the victim might not have any access to. So using that as a control tactic to keep them in the relationship is unfortunately a very powerful way to keep people to stay. Yeah. Um, one way we try to support people in that situation is through connecting them with different community services who can help them financially, whether that's through the county or different areas where they can go. We also collect gift cards. And so when they are in that situation and they're getting ready to leave, we'll give them gift cards for groceries and gas, get them connected with the different food shelves and help centers to ensure that some of their basic needs are being met so that they can focus more on the larger things that they have going on. Yes. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Cause that, that is the number one thing that I have heard personally, that has been the most difficult, which is something mm -hmm. that I never really thought about. I mean, you, you're either going from like, you know, one income to, to leaving to no income. So that can be a really scary thing. Besides, you know, when you're in an abusive relationship, you know what you're, you have. And it's so scary to leave for something that you, you don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another thing that I've heard too. Like, but what does it look like without them? Yeah. And that is, it's so hard because they have a relationship together and they've built that. And then leaving is, it is hard, understandably. Another barrier we've seen a lot of lately is housing. Um, if they don't have money, mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of affordable housing in the community. Mm -hmm. And something an advocate actually just brought up to me this week was if they are living in the house with the abuser and wanting to leave, oftentimes they're not eligible for housing resources because technically they are in a home. And so oh. to get on the list for housing waivers and different things like that, they almost need to enter a homeless situation, which is obviously extremely challenging choice to make for people, whether it's going into shelter or whatever that may be. That is just something we're trying to figure out how to support people with now. Oh my goodness. That's, that's unbelievable. I see, these are the, some of the things that I never would have thought of. I mean, I can only imagine from so, so far into it, but to know that you have to go into a homeless shelter in order to even get help. That's mind boggling to me. Yeah. Do you have like a uh, number phone lines that you're connected to in terms of where people maybe are reaching out for help and there's a, a line that they call that, that connects them with resources or is there how, I mean, what are some other ways to kind of solicit services when someone is 
making uh, decisions about what to do next when they feel endangered? Yes, so we do one line we use quite often for shelters specifically, it's called Day One, and they are a database of all the domestic violence shelters in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So if someone is at that point where they're ready to go, we connect them with them, and one of their advocates is able to transfer them directly to a shelter that has open beds mm -hmm. to help facilitate that process because there are no shelters in Wright and Sherburn counties. Mm -hmm. So that is one way we utilize a phone line to get services and support. And then we have a variety of others. So there's the Minnesota warm line for mental health crises that will give people, and um, we use 211 if they are experiencing homelessness or any different financial things to try to get them connected with resources through that as well. So I can't even imagine doing your job. I mean, I, I would be a mess all the time, but there's got to be some heartwarming stories. Do you have any heartwarming stories that that you can share? Or any statistics that 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 really are are powerful that that make it all worth it? Yes. One story that I can think of right now is with our youth program we primarily work with middle and high school students, but we were working with an elementary student and her advocate came to us and she shared that after a few meetings, this, I don't know, seven, eight year olds came to her and she was able to say that she used her voice with her dad, who is her abusive parent, and that she was able to set boundaries with him, which for someone mm -hmm. that age to have that skill already developed through working with an advocate is huge. Oh my God. I got goosebumps. I... That's amazing. Yeah, That's that what... was that was really cool to hear. And we also regularly have stories where people do find safety yeah. and they get their own places and they start working and building a life free from abuse, which every time we hear one of those, um, which thankfully is pretty regularly, it just reminds us of why we're here, why we do this important work, because yes. people should be able to live lives free of abuse and be safe in their own homes. And when we're able to support people and help them get to that point, it is huge. Yeah. Do you stay connected to many of the families? Or do they stay connected with you? It depends. We actually... A few weeks ago, got an email from someone who worked with an advocate in the 90s. Oh, and wow. she, <laughs> she reached out just to say that she was part of our youth program. And I think it was like 97 and that she still remembers her advocate. And she is using those skills to this day over almost 30 years later. Oh. Um, so that was really cool. And then we do annual surveys. So Sometimes people reach out to us to share. Other times we have our volunteers every year reach out to kind of get information on whether they're still safe, how things are going, and to see if they have any feedback. That's amazing. Very cool. You mentioned volunteers. Um, how how does someone get involved in your organization to volunteer? And, and what volunteer opportunities do exist? People usually just reach out to us. We have an info email. So they typically send us an email through that or use the form on our website. And then we follow up with them to kind of figure out what they're looking for. 
One thing I always tell our volunteers is our job is so unpredictable. There Uh are days where they'll be here and if they're helping with phones, the phones will be ringing all day. There are other days where they might be sitting at the front desk with nothing to do. So it depends. And I always make sure that people know that there might be boring days and make sure they're okay with that. Yeah. So phones, um, when we have events, there's a lot of envelope stuffing and paper cutting and but typically it is just helping out in the office with administrative stuff what is your biggest need right now how can people in the community help i would say our biggest need like probably a lot of local nonprofits, is people in our community who are willing and able to support us financially, whether that's through gift cards. We have seen a pretty significant cut in grant funding over the past year. And a lot of that is just due to changing trends in grant requirements and priorities that are really outside of our control. Mm -hmm. So there's been more emphasis placed on different populations being served. And we serve people experiencing domestic violence, which to me is, and I think to most people, is a hugely underserved population. But in certain cases, that just doesn't check one of the boxes. And that limits our ability to access funds. Mm -hmm. Um, We are really, in the next year, going to be trying to reach out to more local businesses and individuals because it is so important to have that support from the community. a second big need and something I would love is just people to spread the word and raise awareness that we're here. There's still a lot of people who don't know. And if someone is experiencing domestic violence and they don't know we're here, then they're not going to access that support. And we don't want anybody to have to go through that alone. Right, right. As far as the future, um, what uh, what things are on the horizon? And, and And obviously, with that situation of funding, either going up or down, depending on the times or depending on decisions made um, elsewhere out of your control, um, what what I guess is in the future to both sustain your organization and also to grow it and and what's the vision, I guess, if you if you didn't have some of those barriers that stand in the way? Mm-hmm. So all of this is still in the very early con early stages of development, but something we're hoping to do is start reaching out to local businesses in both Wright and Sherburn counties and providing them with resources on how do you support an employee who might be experiencing domestic violence. So our goal with that is that um, prevention, but also support because workplaces, if they don't know, it can be cannot look good if you start missing work or showing up late for work or have someone in the parking lot all the time they're waiting for you or calling. So providing education material to businesses is one of our goals that we hope to start over the summer Mm -hmm. just to provide them with the basic information about domestic violence and how to support someone. Mm -hmm. And then we are also in the early stages of starting a support group for youth. We have one for adults right now. Um, And we also want to be able to offer it for students who might not want or need that one-on-one advocacy anymore, but would like to continue receiving some level of support for what they are experiencing or did experience. So that is kind of one of our other next steps. Yeah. And then way down the road, we would love to one day have a shelter in our counties. Yeah. That 
who knows? That's a huge project, but that is for sure one of our big dreams years down the road, probably, but still something to look forward to. Is there an example nearby in another county or or one that you're aware of that that provides a framework for what you guys might try to do? For the shelter? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, Anna Marie's is in St. Cloud and mm-hmm. they have a shelter there. And so I would imagine that when we do get to that part of our planning, we'll reach out to mm-hmm. them and there are different shelters. There's one in Plymouth, Minneapolis, and just have conversations with the different shelters that we have relationships with to see how they started it and yeah. how they found the space and did all those things right. to implement a shelter. Yeah. Right. So do you have any upcoming events that you would like to tell us about? Um, Yes, I don't have an exact date for it. It will be first or second week of August. We are going to have our Walk for Hope to End Family Violence. So this is an annual walk. It is only one mile. Um, So it's very family friendly. We have different activities for kids, but really it is just to raise awareness about the fact that domestic violence does happen in our community and to come together as a community to walk for the victims and just stand together to try to fight domestic violence. Um, We've historically had it in Monticello, but from what I've heard, there could be construction where we've had it. So we're in the process of possibly moving it to Big Lake this year or trying to find another place where we could have it without the barrier of construction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the thing everywhere right now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll definitely make sure to um, promote that as soon as we get the, the date, time, and location for you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there? We've talked about a lot of different things here, but is there anything else you would like the neighbors in Sherman County to know about uh, your organization that we haven't talked about? I guess I would just want them to know that domestic violence looks different ways. So it can be the physical violence, but it can also be emotional and verbal. So if anyone is in a relationship where they're regularly being put down or belittled or made fun of, that isn't healthy. And that is domestic violence. And Mm -hmm. that impacts so many more people than we know. Um, it's estimated that one in four men and one in three women will experience domestic violence at some point in their lives. And when you take into account the verbal and emotional, I wouldn't be surprised if, you, if it's even more. Yeah. yeah. And we're here for all of those people. We might not be able to file a protective order, but we will offer them support and help them find the resources to find safety even from that. Well, thank you so much, Hannah Ruth. It's been incredible to talk to you. I know you're always up to so many things and helping out so many people. And I know I absolutely could not do what you do. And that's why we are so thankful to be able to support you and everything that you do and um, helping our community in so many different ways. So I really want to thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And I guess just one other thing. If anyone who's listening or any groups would like an advocate to come present about what we do, we're always wanting to and willing to present to any group who's interested in learning more about domestic violence and rivers of hope. Excellent. All right. Until next time, neighbors. Thank you so much for listening to the Community United Podcast, a production of the Sherburn County Area United Way. 
Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and family. If you want to know more about who we are and how else we support our local nonprofits, visit our website and subscribe to our mailing list, sherburneunitedway.org. Bye for now, neighbors.